You are listening to Faith City Outreach with Marina Maria, founder of Global Gospel Worship Radio. Marina interviews local pastors and global leaders to share their testimonies and their ministries. Our goal is to help you follow what Jesus taught in Matthew 6:33. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Now, here's our host, Marina Maria. Welcome to Faith City Outreach. This is Marina Maria with today's special guest, Dr. Ernest Crocker, who is an author, speaker, physician, and a photographer, and lives in Sydney, Australia. Dr. Crocker graduated from the medical faculty of the University of New South Wales with honors in 1969. He was awarded the University Prize for Surgery, the Gilbert Ashby Prize for Surgery, and the HP and BL Melville Prize for General Proficiency. Thank you, Dr. Ernest Crocker, for being on Faith City Outreach to share about your recently published book, The Man in White, which is about having a personal relationship with Jesus and walking daily in the Spirit. Dr. Ernest, when I heard about your radio interview that you had, I'm not sure if it was recently, but it was titled Miracles, something about miracles with the title. And also when I was reading your bio, the scripture that came to mind was Isaiah 42, 16. And I like to read it. It says, I will lead the blind by ways they have not known along unfamiliar paths I will guide them. I will turn the darkness into light before them and make the rough places smooth. And these things are, I will do, and I will not forsake them. So there the Lord tells us that he is the way maker, the miracle worker, the promise keeper, the light in the darkness. Oh, absolutely. The light in the darkness, which I saw when I was nine years of age and I've, and it changed my life from that day in Sunday school. Amen. And I would like for you to share your salvation story before we discuss your latest book, The Man in White. Can you share well, that, please? Yeah, sure I can. Well, I became a Christian in Sunday school at age nine. I'm not sure I really understood what I was doing at the time. I knew my dad would be pleased and mum would be pleased, and they were. But I still remember the verse that, uh, that led me to the Lord, and it was this, all we like sheep have gone astray. Where are we? And the Lord is, um, hang on, we're starting again. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own, and the Lord has laid on him. The sins of us all. Now, I just hesitated there to get it in a more modern translation. I remember it in the authorized version. And uh, I didn't really understand what I did. But in the Billy Graham crusade here in 1959, that's going back a bit, I stood in the rain, tears running down my face. And Billy Graham said, you come. And I did. And life has never been the same since. Never been the same since. And at that time, uh, the Holy Spirit led me to Jesus. Didn't really know much about the Holy Spirit until some years later as a, as a medical uh, registrar at Prince Alfred, but I learned at that stage that not only do we have Jesus within us, but he sent us his Holy Spirit. And then it's up to us from that point on how much we submit ourselves to him, how much we allow him to control our lives. And if he does, then we have a recipe for life. Yeah. Amen. What happened to you or what experience did you have when God encouraged you to write the Man in White. The Man in White? Well, it's my third book, and um, it's a long story going back from when I was a medical student. I don't know if you want me to go back that far. 
Absolutely. All right. Well, when I was a, a medical resident here in Sydney in a teaching hospital, I was hearing about the Holy Spirit and how he heals today. And I thought, no, no, I can't. Um, you know, here I am. I'm a doctor. I'm a, I'm a specialist doctor. I can't go along with that. Mm -hmm. But it got to me. And I'm one of those guys that has to get it worked out, has to understand what's going on. Uh, I can't leave things undone. So when people came to Sydney with the healing ministry gifts, I watched them and I thought, nah, it's all in their mind. Yeah, sure, asthma can get healed and pain in the back can get healed just by suggestion and pregnant, infertile women can get pregnant, but I, I just don't really buy that, that God can heal today. But one night, Sunday night after church, my wife and I sat down and we challenged God. And I said, God, if you heal today, I give you a week to prove it to me. And I shudder when I think of that, that I actually gave God an ultimatum. Mm -hmm. But I did. And I guess I was that desperate. But, you know, the next day at the hospital, uh, I, I went and did my job and I got called out that night to do an emergency doctor call. And uh, while I was there in the house with the lady, she had a cardiac arrest and I did everything to try and save her. She was alone in the house with me. I dragged her off the bed. I tried to resuscitate her. Uh, I did everything. I couldn't get a vein because she had no cardiac output. I ended up putting a needle into her heart and injecting uh, epinephrine, adrenaline. I'm not sure what you call it over there, but nothing worked. And then all of a sudden, this voice said within me, now's the time. Now's the time. And I prayed for her. I had my hands on her chest. It was in a great position, kneeling with my hands on her chest. I prayed for this woman and she shuddered, but then she stayed dead. Finally, the ambulance man arrived. He'd lost the address. We had to put the call in for a second time. And he said, you're wasting your time, Doc. Uh, she's gone. But we got it to the teaching hospital. All my friends came out. They said, no way in. You know, this lady's passed. She's deceased. We can't do anything for her. But I knew them. And I said, let's get her in. Let's, let's have a go at it. And so we got her into the ED. And I stood back, I was exhausted. I'd been working on it for 20 minutes uh, or half an hour, actually. And it was an hour since she'd arrested. And as they did, she went back into normal cardiac rhythm. She woke up and she said, my chest hurts. And I, I couldn't handle that. It just did not make any sense to me. It was surreal. Somehow I got home. I'd left, I don't even know how I got home. I left my car at her home in the and come in the ambulance where I'd been trying to resuscitate her. I saw her the next morning, expecting her to be brain damaged. She was sitting up in bed, reading Woman's Magazine, having breakfast with no brain damage. The professor didn't know what to make of it, but he was delighted. <laughs> anyway, I never challenged God again over that. And that's, I can look back on that now and think I was there. I saw that. It actually happened. And we all have doubts and I have doubts, but I go back mm -hmm. to that and think, no, oh, it happened. But I, what I didn't realize then, Marina, was that God was saying, this is going to be your story in life. You are going to pursue this. You are going to see how I intervene in doctors' lives. Mm -hmm. And I only really realized that in the last couple of months of my life. But I've now interviewed 60 people uh, that have had God intervene in quite marvelous ways in their lives and committed that into three books. And that's why this current book has come about. But the reason for writing this current book is I'm, I'm the state New South Wales state chairman of the Christian Medical and Dental Fellowship of Australia. And I get frustrated how so many doctors and so many people in general are interested in the historical Jesus. They love their Bible studies because they can read what he did when he was here on earth. But so many have forgotten mm -hmm. that the Bible says that Jesus as he was now is today and always will be. And we can have a personal relationship with him. 
and with his Holy Spirit on a daily basis. And that's what this book is all about, to say, hey, forget about history. Mm-hmm. You know, we're alive now. Uh, talk to Jesus now. He will answer you. His word says he will. And he'll answer you in so many different ways. Hmm. So there. <laughs> I don't know if I can add to that. When that experience happened, did you immediately remember what you had asked God that week about showing you if he if it's if the healing is for real oh absolutely you, you mean when the lady was resuscitated right Ab- absolutely and I remember it every day of my life and uh, God said to me you know I was in my prayer time about three months ago and I was just praying away and sitting there as you normally do in the morning doing a bit of bible roulette you know flipping through and, mm-hmm. and reading and and praying and God said to me, if I can raise a woman from the dead, I can do anything. And indeed he can. And when we talk to God and he expects us, we're, we're built to hear his voice. We have ears to hear. We have mm-hmm. eyes to read the word. You know, we have intellect to understand when he's speaking to us. Uh, understanding when people may have a word for us. Uh, we're built to hear it. But when we do that, um, it's a dialogue that continues through life and we, we need to listen. It, mm-hmm. It's not just a one-off. It just goes on from day to day, from year to year, and mm-hmm. we grow as we listen to it. Do you think other doctors have experienced what you have experienced? Oh, yeah, I do. And um, when I told my doctor friends uh, in the early days when this originally happened, uh, many of them were put out. They said, mm, what do you mean? And this doesn't happen, you know. And in fact, I, I sort of lost a few friends for a few months as they kind of walked away, um, not really understanding that God could do something like that. Yet I've had a number of doctors, I've pursued doctors over the years to find out if they'd had a similar experience. Some have, but God has spoken to them in so many ways. Like a country GP will say, wow, I've got this lady with a hot appendix. I've been operating on it for half an hour. I can't find the appendix. So I'll say, Lord, where is it? And all of a sudden, there it is. You know, so God intervenes in different ways. Mm-hmm. And a number of doctors have actually become Christians because God has healed them even, even when they weren't Christians. So, yeah, all the whole spectrum, really, Marina. That's an amazing story there, an amazing testimony there in itself. I know your book, The Man in White, is a declaration by men and women who witnessed the direct intervention of the living God in their lives against all conceivable odds, as it's stated in your bio and your website. Can you share the story about the uh, terrorist hijackings in the mountains of Afghanistan? Yeah, I can. Um, This guy, well, let's call him Reg. Uh, He's a surgeon now living in Sydney and uh, spent many Well, he lived in Pakistan, right up on the border of Afghanistan most of his life. And he worked in a Red Cross hospital for some 20 years up there with his wife, who was the dentist. And because it was a red hot, not a red hot, a a Red Cross hospital, uh, they were able to treat Taliban and Mujahideen. And and they would come to the hospital thinking that, not knowing what would happen, and they'd have the gospel shared with them. And he did this for 20 years and operated on, I think, 10,000 of these guys over that time. One Saturday morning, he and his assistant were driving out to do an outpatient 100 kilometres away from the hospital, and he was kidnapped, he and his driver. They were taken blindfolded and bound, heavily bound, to uh, an earthen hut 
high on a mountain in Afghanistan and uh, chained to iron bed frames. And he was freezing. All he had was a cardigan and it was snowing outside. And the roof was leaking. And they said, you will become a Christian. Otherwise, we will behead you. And uh, he said, no, I won't. I have my own faith. Anyway, they kept him like that for three weeks. They sent uh, an imam to preach to him, preach them every day. I lived in dreadful conditions. He, he, uh, he lost 25 kilograms uh, during that time. They fed him on carrot soup and water that tastes like kerosene. But all of this time, he refused to accept Islam. And on the, eventually, uh, they came and got him, blindfolded him, took him to another room in this hut. When they took the blindfold off, there were seven men, I think it was seven men, sitting in front of him, all with the uh, gear on and holding semi-automatic rifles faces covered and there was a very tall man standing behind him with a knife against his neck and said this is your last chance uh, will you convert will you change to islam and he thought well this is it and he said lord if you want to take me i'm ready to go and as he was saying this and praying this he heard a soft voice he said it was a soft male voice that's the only way i can describe it and he said and it's and it said I will not die, but live and proclaim what the Lord has done. And he heard this in Urdu. I will not die, but live and proclaim what the Lord has done. And so he said to them, well, by what authority do you take my life? You know, God gave it to me, but what, by what authority do you take it? And they couldn't answer that. And after some confusion, they retired and went away. Um, I'm cutting the short, the short here because it's quite a long story. But um, two weeks later, they came back. And uh, they said, all right, um, get dressed. Uh, we're releasing you. You're very fortunate. Most people that have come here have not left here alive, but you are. They took him in a car to another house and they said, we're going to feed you. He said, no, you're not. He said, I'm fasting today till 6 p.m. When I finish my fasting and prayers, I'll come out and then I'll eat with you. And he came out and he said, when he came out, there was a huge rug spread out with the most wonderful food. They dressed him in nice clothes. They all stood around. And they said, we'll eat now. He said, no, we'll say grace first. So he said, he gave thanks. And all the Mujahideen said, amen, with him. And, uh, and then just as this was happening, he said, why have you brought me here? Why is this happening? And they said, we don't know, but there's one coming that does know. And as he watched, a, a very tall man walked in dressed in white. Now, the strange thing was, he had had a dream about this man a week before in captivity, this tall man in white, he said, in the dream, he gave me back my wallet, my mobile, and he took me out of here. And it turned out this man was from the Council of Taliban. And uh, what had happened was, when he had been kidnapped, the people in his local area didn't know what had happened to him. And so they thought, you know, this guy's a Christian, but he's a good guy. You know, he's been operating on us for years and saving us, taking out our, our shrapnel and healing our broken bones. And we want him back. And so they made they made uh, approaches to the Council of Taliban. And so he was released. He was released. But he said the most amazing thing was when he saw this food laid out before him, he said the word, he thought of the verse, thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mm -hmm. my enemies. Mm -hmm. And he said, the word in Urdu for table is carpet. He said, and there it was, just as it was in my Bible, laid out. And uh, I took him back to the hospital and uh, with, with great rejoicing, of course. And his wife told him that on the third day after he'd been kidnapped, she went to the hospital chapel and she knelt down and she said, I'd seen many men come back in body bags without their heads. You know, and I was terrified. 
And she said, you must bring Reg back. You must save him. She said, I opened the Bible at random and it fell open at the Psalms. And I read these words, I will not die, but live and proclaim what the Lord has done. And so the Lord gave them the same verse, mm. um, all those miles apart, three weeks apart. And when she saw those words, she knew that he'd be released. And that's what kept her going. So wonderful story. He's now releasing slaves, human slaves in Pakistan from the brick pits. And he's back there now. In fact, he's just had a nearly died of typhoid and uh, amongst all the COVID patients. But he's recovered and uh, he's, I think he's back in Sydney or just about back in Sydney. So, yeah, great story. And, you know, verified. Amazing story, really. It is an amazing story. And I was going to ask you, too, is, is the, his story um, based on the title of your book, The Man in White? Well, there are many men in white. I mean, uh, we know that the angel of the Lord has appeared as a man mm-hmm. in white. I know people that have had a man in white appear to them in this country and in Pakistan. True. And also the man from the Council of Taliban, surprisingly, was also a man in white. Mm -hmm. And Revelation tells us that we will stand in white. The faithful remnant will will be in white, you know, and be saved in the last day. So I think it's a good all-embracing term, actually. That's true. What about the story of the man who called on God to change the path of a, a cyclone? Well, that was crazy, really. I mean, unbelievable. This is the guy who lives in London. And uh, he's an evangelist, but he travels the world training people in evangelism. And uh, he, in 2015, he visited Fiji. He's a straight evangelical Anglican, and, uh, but he, he went there to preach and to train others. And he was having dinner or lunch rather, with the local pastor who was a converted Hindu. And all people from the local village in Fiji started to gather in the yard outside, which unnerved him a bit. He said, what are they doing here? And they said, well, they've heard you here. They want you to pray for them. He said, well, that's not the way I do it. You know, send them home and I'll come to their homes and I'll pray for them. We'll go around from house to house. And they did. And they finally got to the house of a woman. And they said, this woman really does need your prayers. And uh, my friend said, well, what's... uh, What's the matter? She said, doctor, I'm very, not, not doctor, he wasn't a doctor. I'm very scared. When my husband goes out, there's this presence, that's in this dark presence that stands behind me and terrifies me. I look around, there's nobody there, but I know it's there. And he thought, well, it sounds like demon possession. And, um, and the pastor said, will you pray for this woman? And he walked across the room and he said, Lord, I've never prayed for anyone like this. He said, I, I'm, my gifts are evangelism and teaching. Um, I've been doing that for 20 years. Uh, don't ask me to do something like this. He said, and God spoke to him and said, they're not your gifts. They're my gifts. <laughs> <laughs> it's not your ministry. It's my ministry. And, and you told me you've been doing it in your own strength in 20 years. To turn around and go and pray for the woman. he he did he prayed for the woman and he said i I looked at her and i was terrified he said i'm not easily terrified but he said and head twisted around her eyes went up and she passed out and fell on the floor and i thought she's dead and and he said god i've only been in this place for 48 hours and i've killed somebody but she wasn't she just passed out anyway a week later um he was due to fly to sydney and uh He said his goodbyes and they took him to the airport and he was in the departure lounge and the voice came over the loudspeaker, ladies and gentlemen, we're terribly sorry. There's a cyclone coming in from the north and there's terrible storms outside. We've cancelled flights 
there may not even be flights till next morning. And I thought, oh, what? You know, he said he had to be in Sydney for an important meeting the next morning. So everyone in the airport was most unhappy, especially those with kids, and he was too. And an hour later, the, another message came across. Now it's getting worse. The cyclone's coming down on us and uh, the storms are not abating. So there'll be no more flights till tomorrow morning. Make yourself comfortable or go home. And um, there'll be another meeting, another message at 10 past five. Well, he thought, well, he thought to himself, Lord, I remember what you did with that woman a week ago. I've never seen anything like it. But he said, I know that your name, the name of Jesus, is more powerful than any storm. And so I'm praying in the name of Jesus that you will change this situation. He said, I heard a laugh. He said, I looked around. I don't know where it came from, but I heard this laugh when I, when I prayed that. Anyway, he said, I, I was fairly happy after that. Now he said, at five past five, five minutes earlier than I had expected, he said, the man came on the loudspeaker again. He said, I, I kind of anticipated this might happen. And he said, ladies and gentlemen, we don't know how to tell you this, but the storms are abating and the cyclone has changed direction. <laughs> he said, we're going to be boarding the plane, you the plane straight away. And that was his plane and resuming normal things. And I thought, wow, that's incredible. You know, so he, um, he went back to England the next day. I'd had a meal and we'd shared this in my home here in Castle Hill in Sydney. And he went back to England and I wrote to him and said, look, I said, do you think you can find the actual date and the details of your flight? And he said, yeah, I'll go through my records. So he did. And he found out exactly the time, the day and the flight that he'd been on out of Fiji um, six years earlier. So I took all this down and I Googled it all. I got the airport at Fiji airport, the weather report, Fiji airport on that day. And lo and behold, it was a fine morning. Terrible storms came in at one o'clock and abated by about four o'clock in the afternoon. And then I, I Googled cyclones in the Pacific and go to a website that's run by the US uh, Air Force and, and uh, Navy uh, based in Hawaii who keep track on the cyclones. And Cyclone Pam, which is the second most powerful cyclone ever to hit the Pacific, had been hurtling down that day towards Fiji. And they had cyclone tracking dotted on the map around the Pacific. And just at the time he prayed, that cyclone actually changed direction and started to go slightly to the, to the southwest of, of the way it had been coming, to miss Fiji altogether. And I just couldn't believe it. And I sent him the pictures and he couldn't believe it either. But it actually happened. And in the book, I, I've included the photos of the cyclone tracking, which just verify it. And you can Google it yourself. It's, it's there. So, you know, I'm a scientist. I'm not a theologian. I'm a doctor. I'm a, I'm a scientist. I'm a father, a grandfather, a husband. And, uh, but I have to verify things and make sure they're right. Otherwise, uh, my credibility goes if I don't check these things before I put them into writing. All the um, stories that you have and testimonies that you have in your book, in The Man yeah. in White, are they from people that you know directly? I always get asked this question. And the question is, God brings them to me. Um, okay. And I, I, you know, so I, I know that if I'm going to write a fourth book, they've already brought me one, one, but they just come. Some are friends, some I've never known before. Some of them just appear. Um, 
you know, there's stories of the Dean of Law at the University of New England here. There's, I don't know if you've heard over there of the Bali Nine, probably not. Bali Nine was very big in Australia. This was a young Chinese who was shot by a firing squad in, uh, in Bali a few years ago. And, and uh, I had his story and his wife's story as well. But God just sends them. And, uh, but I have to check them. I verify them. I go through the records uh, if I don't know them. Yeah. Well, I can understand that. I mean, I, I feel the same way as you do, um, just like with this radio program. God brings the people yeah. uh, through people that I know, but the people that uh, I know bring people that I have never met. And yeah. um, so you yourself, you're, you're, you've been sent by God through somebody I know. Okay. <laughs> What do you hope readers will learn or get from reading your book, The Man in White? I have two killer questions when I interview people, and uh, usually, both questions usually rock them and make them stand out, stand back on their heels. And the first question is this, who are you? And uh, there's usually a stony silence after I ask that, and the pregnant pauses are very, very healthy. And the first thing, and generally what people will say is, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. The best one I ever heard was the man who invented the bionic ear. He's a friend of mine here in Australia. And he said, I'm a scientist, I'm a professor, I'm a husband and a grandfather, and I'm married to a wonderful woman, and we are one in Christ. You know, so that, that's the best answer I've ever heard to that question. <laughs> and, the, and the second question is, what is God saying to you today? What is God saying to you today? And there'll be... A number of answers to that. The four answers are the four answers are that I'm aware of. Are maybe you don't know how to hear his voice. Maybe you don't understand. He may speak to you direct or through prophecy, through a word of knowledge, through the word of God um, directly. Uh, secondly, uh, you may not be listening. You may not be expecting to hear his voice. Thirdly, uh, you may have hardened your heart. Mm. And the fourth thing is uh, maybe you haven't obeyed the last thing he asked you to do. And that was a situation in my life some years ago. But I want people to understand that a, a working relationship with the, with the living God is possible, that God wants to, wants to maintain a dialogue with you through life. And what upsets me is with young people make the biggest, you know, I work with a lot of young medical students and interns, and they make the biggest decisions of their lives when they're young. Who will I marry? Will I do medicine? Will I specialize? Will I buy a house? What car will I buy? How will I invest my money? And they usually do it without any consultation with God, but with little experience and little foresight as to where they might be going. I want people to understand you can have a dialogue with with God through life. Mm -hmm. Uh, It continues through life and you will grow as, as the dialogue continues. But you can have an ongoing, you can sit down with a cup of tea or a cup of coffee Mm -hmm. in the morning and say, Lord, speak to me. Where where are we going today? What are we doing today? And he'll, you know, all of a sudden, oh, gee, I must text so-and-so. I know he's got needs. So you'll text him and he'll write, he'll text straight back and say, boy, how did you know I needed prayer today? I'm in a real mess, you know. So I want them to understand they can have a working relationship and life situation with God and that God does speak today. Amen. And what I get from that is with every single thing and throughout the day. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. Mm -hmm. You know, when I was first converted at about age 17, I went to my local pastor and said, 
there's got to be more to life than just being saved and saving other people. You know, you know, where do we go from here? There's got to be more to it than that. And he couldn't answer me. He referred me to a book by John Stott, which was a great book, but it didn't give me the answers. And I then had to go ahead and understand that there's a recipe for life as we submit ourselves to the Holy Spirit and allow him to control us. And so he generates these wonderful fruit in our life and they're exhibited in and through us. Love, joy, peace, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Yes. You know, I mean, what more could you want, really? And uh, anyway, I'm talking too much. <laughs> you aren't. It's all very interesting information. Dr. Ernest, do you think human beings today hunger for God? And even though they don't know it? Oh, I think they always have. There's a very good book called Eternity in Their Hearts by Don Richardson. You're nodding. You probably know that one. He, he's a, a Christian anthropologist, I think. But he's traced out how virtually every tribe that's ever, or every civilization that's ever been on earth has had a hunger for a, a, and, and an understanding of a creator God. And I think that's an innate part of us. You know, I've, I've, even the atheists of our day, most atheists, when you pin them down, will, will have a bet both ways. I know that even Christopher Hitchens, I think it was Christopher Hitchens, or, yeah, Christopher Hitchens in his last book said, it's better to die a Christian than not before he died. So I think, yes, and I think especially today with, with COVID, you know, we've, we've, we run a prayer meeting for healthcare workers every Friday night here at eight o'clock. Um, and we've had doctors come back from Europe and say people are crying out in the streets for God. And, and people are, you know, going to church in, in large numbers or, or watching church online, you know, in numbers mm -hmm. as they never had before. Yes, I, I believe so, yes. I interview many pastors and global leaders who have traveled the world and participated in crusades in third world countries. And they say they have witnessed more healing miracles than there are here in in america do you think america will someday experience this too well i think the problem is not just in america i mean we see the same thing here you know we hear people that have been to india and seen mm -hmm. you know eyes opened and deaf ears opened and we say well why don't we do see that here but we don't see it all that often and, and i think it's probably the same in most Western countries. And I think the reason for that is because there are plenty of people here to spread the gospel, whereas in some of these places where the, those places are very thin and there aren't many Christians, God intervenes himself in miraculous ways, really, just as he did in days of old when Jesus created miracles in the street, in the marketplace every day. The other reason I think that often we don't we may not see miracles here is because even in Nazareth, Jesus wasn't able to perform miracles or didn't because they, they weren't open to it. And here we try and explain those things away and say, oh, we don't believe in that stuff. So, you know, I think we've got ourselves to blame here. I'm, I'm hoping that, yes, uh, we will see more and more of it. And uh, we do see enough to know that, that God does intervene in, mir in miraculous ways, both here and overseas. I heard your radio interview about miracle testimonies, and you mentioned that at one point in your medical career, you lost your identity. 
how did you lose your identity? And what was your mindset like at that time? And then how did God help you rediscover your identity? Well, as, as a doctor, I'm very used to interviewing patients that will come and they've lost their identity. For instance, I do nuclear, nuclear medicine as my, my mm -hmm. I do scans and bone scans and heart scans and ultrasound. And almost every day a guy will come along and say, oh, I've got prostate cancer. Or a woman will say, I've got breast cancer or something like that. And you can immediately see they've lost their identity, that they, they were a fit, healthy guy or, or mum. And all of a sudden, that's all gone. The fitness, fitness identity is gone, or my kid is on drugs, or I've lost my job, or I'm going bankrupt, or I've got COVID or something like that. And worldly identities can be just snatched away that quickly. And I've been aware of that, you know, all my working life, I guess, that worldly identity is very transient. So, you know, I was director of nuclear medicine at Westmead Hospital, you know, for many, for many years. And I eventually stood down from that, really to spend more time on short-term ministry in China. And as soon as I did, I thought, oh, who am I now? What do I want? And I also found that, to my sadness, that Christian groups didn't want me as a speaker anymore because I'd lost my title. And that's the saddest thing, you know, because they want somebody with a title, you know, somebody that we can put in big print is coming to speak, you know, so come and, and listen. So that made me quite sad. Um, and uh, I went through a few months of really feeling quite lost and not knowing who I was. And, uh, but one Sunday evening, we heard that Jack Hayford, do you know of Jack Hayford? I Jack Hayford, Jack Hayford was the pastor of the church on the way in Van Nuys in California. Mm -hmm. And he was Pat Boone's pastor. And he'd written a lot of those wonderful early uh, choruses we sang about 20 odd years ago and should probably be singing now, but we don't. And um, I went along to hear him basically because I knew he had a ministry for Jewish people in his church. And I had a friend in California who I was worried that might be suicidal after he'd lost his marriage. And Jack Hayford said that night, uh, he said, now I want you to understand tonight that you all have spiritual eyes to see and spiritual ears to hear. And I thought, wow, that's interesting because um, that's what I've been praying for for years. I didn't know I had them. And he said, tonight we're going to ask God to open your spiritual eyes and to open your spiritual ears to see and hear what he's saying to you. So if anyone wants that, just stand up where you are. So I stood up. Amazing thing happened. All of, all of a sudden there was a strong smell of perfume. I thought, wow, what's that? And, and, and I was very surprised because I had the flu and, and I thought I shouldn't be smelling anything. And I thought I must be the woman in front of me who's just lathered herself in perfume. But anyway, I didn't think any more of it then. And then God spoke to me and he said, you are Ern Crocker, very much loved son of the father, full stop. And that at about 35 years of life, just changed my life completely. I suddenly realized here was an identity that could never be taken away. Uh, everything else can be taken away, but not that. You are very much loved son of the father. And that, that just filled all the spaces. Um, it changed my professional life. You know, my, 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 my medical practice became 
focused on the fact that I was his son and that I was there to do his job. And everything else was really unimportant. And um, I have a quote here. Yeah, if you read the book, there's a quote by Charlie, who's an American doctor in, uh, in Los Angeles. And he said, I found my identity in my relationship with God, my father, rather than in my own pursuits and accomplishments. I finally came to understand that I needed to relax and stop performing, that God's acceptance of me did not depend on how hard I tried or what I achieved. And I think once we discover that, life becomes so much more pleasant and wonderful. And uh, so that's how I just really discovered who I was. And that's one of the, I don't know, there are various things, you know, life is a learning curve for Christians. And, you know, I became a Christian as a, as a child. I found about the Holy Spirit in my 20s. I learned about the father heart of God when I was in my 30s, that I had a father who loved me. And then came along identity, understanding really who I was. And now at my stage of life, I'm learning about trust. And that's the hardest thing of all. So God sort of leads us along this path. And all the time, we're learning new stuff, you know, as we're ready for it. And if we find our life plateaus spiritually, it's then time to say, okay, Lord, what's next? And there'll be something there that he wants to show us. Yeah. The question that you asked earlier about what is God telling you today? I would like to mm. ask you that. What is God telling you today, Dr. Ernest? <laughs> well, that's... <laughs> That's not fair. <laughs> God is telling me that, you know, my, I've just retired from medicine, so I don't have to get out of bed early in the morning and go and do stress testing, which is wonderful. But he's really telling me to put myself into mentoring, training, encouraging people, allowing his the fruit of his spirit to flow through me to others. And that's what I'm doing. Now, each day I will pray, Lord, that the fruit of your spirit will be manifest in me and through me and show me how you want me to, to exercise that in a practical way. And if you want to give me spiritual gifts, if you feel you can trust me with spiritual gifts, please give them to me as you see fit. That's kind of my daily prayer. So it's really in reaching out to others, as I'm doing here today, um, as I would do in writing, as I might text people, um, and I do daily or, or write to them. You know, I saw that in my father. You know, my father was a very fine Christian man. As he got older, he wrote letters to people. And when his eyes were no good, then he called them up. And the day before he died, at uh, 91 years of age, he said to the nurse, I witnessed to the, he said to my sister, I witnessed to the nurse yesterday. Do you think she heard me? And of course, Rose said, of course she did. So, I mean, that's, that's my message for life, really, of, 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 of being God's ambassador and witness to others. Yeah. What advice would you give Christians and non-Christians about finding their identity? Finding their identity? Well... I guess, firstly, in understanding that any, any identity that they chalk up can be very transient and not mean very much. I mean, I learned from a very early stage that you're very quickly forgotten. You know, my first day as a, as a resident, I was asked to inject this patient. And uh, 
half an hour later, they said, oh, have you injected him yet? And I said, no, don't you know who he is? Don't you know who he is? I said, no. Well, he was the chief executive officer of the hospital till last year when he retired. I never heard of the guy. So earthly identities and earthly achievements are so quick you forget to say, get that through your head. doesn't matter what you do. And you will achieve so much more if you find your identity in God. Now, Graham Clark, the man who invented the bionic ear, of which there are now half a million around the world, and I can tell you this because he shared it with me, he does not own a single share in his company, not one. He would be a billionaire if he did, but he didn't. He doesn't. He said, I did it for the love of man, not, not for money. But he said, um, it was as though I had an ongoing dialogue with the creator God to invent this. And they beat all the think tanks of the great universities throughout the United States and the UK and everywhere to get this bionic ear going. So when we find that identity, we'll, we will then find our true purpose for life as we allow God to lead us and not try and pursue our own ideas, which sometimes work and sometimes don't. So there's a, a, I don't know what more I can say really, but uh, it's the greatest security to know that we are, that we can be a child of Father God because that can never be taken away. Everything else can, everything else can go like that in a second, yeah. What is the scripture that relates to your book, The Man in White? Can you please read this scripture? to end the program? Well, I've got a few. I'd like to read a lot okay. to you, but I can't. There's not time. So, The scripture that really stood out to me, I suppose, I saw written, engraved actually in a pulpit in Sydney. And it was a simple one I really wasn't familiar with. And it's simply this. Sir, we wish to see Jesus. And that was uh, John 12, 21, and when Jesus came into um, Jerusalem on the back of a donkey and was in a room, they came looking for him. So we wish to see Jesus. The second verse is the son of man has come to seek and to save the lost. And people should understand that. Thirdly, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me so that people should listen to hear the voice of God. And sure enough, they will hear it. And I guess finally, if you, I can't, haven't got time to read the whole of John 14, but, but the help of the Holy Spirit, him the Father will send in my name. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I have said. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You've heard me say to you, I'm going away and coming back. If you love me, you would rejoice because I'm going to the Father, for my Father is greater than I. He said, the ruler of the world is coming, but he's got nothing on me. So point your listeners to John 14 and 16 especially. Thank you so much, Dr. Ernest, for being on Faith City Outreach program. Oh, yeah. If you are interested in purchasing Dr. Ernest Crocker's book, The Man in White, you can go to www.amazon.com. You've been listening to Faith City Outreach with Marina Maria, founder of Global Gospel Worship Radio. Join us next time as Marina interviews local pastors and global leaders to share their testimonies and their ministries. All music is courtesy of zapsplat.com, and our thanks goes out to Four Winds Ministries in Arizona for partnering with Faith City Outreach. If you'd like to support this ministry, 
just go to fcoprogram.com and click the donate button. Thanks for listening. Have a blessed day.